Hello, I'm Mr. Movies of the Famous. Hello, I'm Mr. Movies of the Famous Film Twitter.com, and this is the Mr. Movies Podcast. Hey everybody, they call me Mr. Achuvi's Podcast, the way that I'd be sneezing and shit. How's it going everyone? I'm sure you can tell by my voice, I've been sick for a little bit, and uh, that's why the podcast hasn't come out. I feel like shit. I thought it was just allergies because the seasons are changing, but no, it's not that at all. It's that God hates me and he gave me some sort of real bad head cold. And uh, luckily for me, I did one of those at-home COVID tests. Turns out I'm COVID negative, so that's good. But uh, I'm doing that thing where you go to sleep and you wake up, you're all sweaty. I had this whole thing planned out for this week where I was going to do Nausicaa, the Miyazaki movie, and finally have a Miyazaki movie that we'd done. But I, I don't have the energy for it. So instead, I want to talk about what was going to be a two-part episode. Instead, it's going to be one part. Next week's going to be the second part. Um, I wanted to talk about how Miyazaki's movies are uh, kind of like emblematic of uh, like his nihilism towards the climate collapsing and the whole earth dying. And uh, <laughs> he has two movies that do that really, really well. I would argue one of them does it way better than the other. Um, <laughs> I'm watching over dogs and they're just kind <laughs> They're staring down from the stairs at me. You're smelling at me. It's really nice of you. Thank you. Uh, he has two movies that are uh, kind of like the hallmarks of this incredibly nihilistic uh, struggle between man and nature. And uh, these two movies are, uh, to, to no one's surprise, it's Nausicaa and uh, Princess Mononoke. I like Nausicaa a lot more than Princess Mononoke in this very specific regard. I think that Princess Mononoke is a much better movie, but whenever it comes to um, just kind of like dealing with the conflict that we're going to be in, which is a planet that is dying and is killing us in the process versus like the general argument of we should be treating the earth better, I think that one of them is a bit more grounded in that specific type of reality because it's that both are completely and totally unrealistic unfortunately there's no such thing as forest spirits unfortunately there's no such thing as big bugs that come out of ground and eat you so i mean it goes down to the mentality behind the movie um one one of the things we're going to be talking about with this article that i found that was published by the nebraska press um it is titled uh, Creatures in Crisis, Apocalyptic Environmental Visions in Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and Princess Mononoke. This is going to talk about just kind of like the general nihilism that Miyazaki feels towards us doing anything about saving the planet. And um, kind of why I think Nausicaa is like a better approach to it. Although, um, as far as like conveying his actual beliefs, Princess Mononoke, in, in, once all is said and done, is probably going to be seen as his masterpiece. And there's a reason behind that, and it has to do with religion. 
You'll see. Uh, the article opens up by saying Japanese animator Hayao Miyazaki has distinguished himself from other contemporary animators with his unique style, values, and reoccurring themes of ecology, politics, and flight, and uh, Japanese culture. For Miyazaki, the preservation of Japanese cultural values is one of the main reasons that Nausicaa Valley of the Wind and Princess Mononoke um, have themes that focus on ecology and the environment. Through symbolism, images, and story, Miyazaki integrates elements of Shinto. Followers of Shin, uh, Shinto tenets believe that spiritual powers exist in the natural world. Miyazaki constructs a space where the complexity of relationships between human spirits and nature can be explored through the art of anime. Uh, these two filmic narratives reflect simultaneously our history and our future with their environmental issues and themes. To bring a sense of heightened awareness and significance to humanity's struggle with nature, Miyazaki chose apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic narratives. Whether um, set in the ancient past or the post-apocalyptic future, the struggle is still the same. What is our role regarding nature? Are we stewards or lords over it? Striking a balance with this relationship has been the challenge for humanity. I absolutely love the way that this is framed. Um, one of the things that bugs me a lot with uh, kind of like environmentalist media, I guess you could call it, um, is one, we don't really uh, agree on what is environmentalist and what isn't. One of the more annoying uh, kind of takes that's like spawned up recently is the um, kind of like the reimagination of Avatar is just kind of being like the hallmark of an era. Or like being a movie that was incredibly profound and it's anti-war or pro-environmentalist angle. And um, I, I don't know how to approach that, if I'm being honest. Um, like like the, the thing that bugs me the most about it is the fact that it's like, no, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I do want to say that um, your story being that there's a tree that has spiritual value to it and underneath is an element called unobtainium is kind of some of the most offensive shit. <laughs> you really don't think anything of your audience <laughs> if, that, if that's the, the main source of conflict there. <laughs> But this uh, this struggle between man and nature has always been like kind of the ongoing um, prevalent struggle of like kind of human history. And, you know, in ancient times, it has to do with like beasts that are so much greater than us. And, you know, after the advent of gunpowder and um, machines that shoot hard metal things and other things that make them die, um, kind of that fear of nature as like a beast that can come and get you has gone by the wayside and now has been um, replaced with an even bigger, badder creature, which is, you know, the inevitable heat death of our planet. And um, what's cool about Miyazaki cinema is that it's approaches from two different angles. And funny enough, the one that is in the future is the one that came first, which just kind of goes to show you that, um, I don't know, like... Whenever it comes to art dealing with, uh, like, the post-apocalyptic, it's always so much harder to have a meaningful message to it. I mean, 
at the time, like, Nausicaa came out in, like, 1984. This was, uh, you know, as, like, science fiction novels were kind of entering that post-apocalyptic era or, like, the near-future dystopia era of science fiction. You start to get writers like Philip K. Dick and uh, William Mercer, I think is the guy's name. The guy did Neuromancer. Where instead of it being just, like, a post-apocalyptic hellscape, you um, just kind of had, like, a, a distant um, dystopia because uh, they've always been... I, I know I did an episode about this, but, like, science fiction writers and fantasy writers have always been a pretty good litmus test for how, like, the general society's feeling about stuff. And if they're not feeling good, then damn, none of us do, do we? And that kind of explains why every single piece of science fiction now is talking about, you know, coping with a dying world. Because we all know the shit's coming. But then there's Miyazaki, who's kind of over there, and um, yes, his movies are geared towards a much more younger crowd, you could probably say. I wouldn't categorize any of his movies or stories as YA, even though they predominantly feature young people, specifically like young girls, kind of figuring their way through a really hostile world. Um, that, that itself is its own um, topic that I'm genuinely not well equipped to have talk about. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm congested, but, um, you know, these stories, although they are pitched towards, like, a younger, more impressionable crowd, um, it still offers these, um, arguments of, like, it's not impossible to stop what we're doing. You know, it doesn't take one, uh, I mean, Princess Mononoke definitely says this, but it's, like, it's not the work of one special person that's going to do it, it's going to be, like, uh, society as a whole accepting that what we're doing can be reversed and should be reversed because uh, whether we like it or not we've only ever been to one planet and that's earth and that's the one that is dying um, but Miyazaki is very very uh, clever in the way that he frames his arguments in a way that aren't just uh, kind of like selfish in nature it's not like damn this is that I'd really happen to like this um I really happen to like this planet. You know, it, it goes beyond that. He includes these things that are like spiritual ties, which it probably is the thing that makes his cinema stand out the most whenever you really, um, whenever you really distill it. It's the thing that's different. It's the thing that kind of separates his cinema from anime and his cinema from the cinema of everybody else. It's like a Shinto beliefs being incorporated in a way that's not just referential. It's uh, embodying the actual mentality of it all. And uh, that's really, really hard to do, is what I'm getting at. One thing I don't like about this article is they keep on referring to his stuff as anime. Um, Miyazaki himself has said that he fucking hates anime. <laughs> and I, I, I respect the shit out of him for that. It's always cool whenever you have like an artist and somebody just like... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of it. Uh, like a modern comparable thing. I, I don't know. I guess it'd be like uh, calling the Coen brothers stand-up comedians or something like that. And they'd be like, hold up. <laughs> We're a little bit more than just a stand-up. The article goes on to say, uh, during the 14th century, the word pollution was considered a theological term that signified moral contamination. In traditional Japanese culture, spiritual and physical pollution are closely related. Miyazaki ardently believes that when humans moved from hunting and gathering to living in an agrarian society, they became focused on manipulating their environment for their own personal desires. He stated, It was in this period that people changed their value system from gods to money. 
this shift of values indicated a change in culture concerning our relationship with nature, and Miyazaki wanted to make films about that shift. And I absolutely adore this line here. Uh, my reason behind that being, um, I don't know, I, I'm going to talk about this next week a lot, um, you know, when I actually have the energy to do this shit. But to me, Nausicaa is the most eco-socialist movie ever made that's not like a documentary about fracking or something like that. Um, it's explicitly eco-socialist, and I'm going to go through all... I'm, I'm not going to do it today. I can't do it today. My brain hurts. You saw this very radical leftist edge to Miyazaki cinema. While he may not be like a Marxist or an anarchist or an ML... Um, he definitely is for environmental justice, and I mean, just the way, like, wh whenever you hear him say, like, it was in this period of time, as we shifted from hunting and gathering, a communal system, towards an agrarian society, which would kind of be like the bedrock of serfdom and feudalism, that we shifted our value system from gods to money. I mean, that itself just kind of is a very, very good summation of his politics, I think, and he ended up losing that edge as his cinema went on. Um, if you really had to, like, throw labels on it, he went from, like, an eco-socialist to probably, like, a, I don't know, an annoying DSA guy. <laughs> I actually don't know what his politics are now. He lost his radical edge, but that's perfectly fine. Nausicaa, to me, is just a blatant statement of what he was feeling and what was probably the most radicalized period of his life. And um, that his fascination between losing our roots what we had as we were um, just kind of becoming a species to uh, what we've become today it has been the focus of his cinema and it's probably why Princess Mononoke is going to go on as being his masterpiece this article goes on to say Princess Mononoke is set in an agrarian society that is in transition the feudal village of Emishi is secluded from advancement and is contrasted with the progress of Iron Town through the agrarian society of Amishi is closer to the earth, uh, Miyazaki is critical of both these types of relationships with nature. His relationship with nature looks at human history with the beginning marked by farming, uh, when we began tempering with the earth. He states that the moment we invented farming, we started to plunder nature mercilessly. Both famine and abundance are uh, contained in the cycles of nature, and that's why people were before they took a bite out of the apple, so to speak. When you search for the reason why humans did a foolish thing, you arrive at farming. Which got me thinking, like, with his focus on technology, uh, so think like Howl's Moving Castle, uh, think, I don't know, uh, Princess Mononoke, really. Um, almost all the technology that's introduced in his movies, oh, even Porco Rosso, that's a good one. Now, all the technology that's introduced to these movies, technology further leads to war. In Porco Rosso, it's a whole bunch of biplanes. It's an Italian... I think he's Italian. It's a man who's turned into a pig who doesn't want to be a fascist, and it gave us that really good screen cap that says, uh, better a pig than a fascist. I like posting that every now and then. I guess people smiling. But, like, those are tools of war. And in Princess Mononoke, they're, like, fashioning spears and catapults and shit. Like, it's just war toys. In Nausicaa, we see all the technology that's used to fight the bugs. In Howl's Moving Castle, the only real technology we see... Because, I mean, like, even uh, it, showing, like, the inequality of the society where they're doing that old-school... Uh, like the pylons that go through the loops on the chair and they carry like that old nasty lady. 
But all the technology in that, the only real exposure we get is whenever Hal goes through the door and he's kind of fighting in war whenever he's in his bird stance. Um, this may be Miyazaki just outright saying that he's like an anarcho-primitivist. Like, we need to go back to small communal societies and just kind of take care of the planet that's given so much to us. Damn. What if he's actually saying that? This goes on to talk about uh, the narrative of Nausicaa and how it examines this disconnect. The apocalyptic environment arose from the ceramic wars a thousand years earlier. The decimation the people suffered pushed them back to an agrarian and uh, feudal society. Once again, they're making the same choices about how to cope with the environmental problems that could lead to their annihilation. By focusing on the cycle of environmental mistakes that his characters make, he makes the audience, uh, or he wants the audience, to question our choices, bringing awareness to our relationship with nature. Uh, this article then goes on to talk about these spiritual connections, and this is probably the most fascinating part of the article, and gave me a lot more of a uh, an appreciation of Miyazaki's cinema that goes beyond "damn spirited away is so pretty." He goes on to say that Miyazaki appeals to the spiritual side of his audience by drawing on existing religious themes, like Kami from the Shinto religion, uh, giving reverence to nature. However, Miyazaki separates himself from organized religion in his films. He uh, says, I've never made religion a basis for my films. My own religion, if you could call it that, has no practice, no Bible, no saints, only a desire to keep certain places and my own self as pure and holy as possible. That kind of spirituality is very important to me. Obviously, it's an essential value that cannot help but manifest itself in my films. It's a really beautiful thing to say. It's that uh, you don't have to be religious, you just have to be spiritual. And whenever you have a spiritual connection to the things around you, you tend to cherish them a lot more than if you just deeply care about them. At least, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know why I'm being honest. I popped two suit of fed, now I'm breathing. Woo! If Miyazaki had embraced traditional Shinto spirituality and practices, he would have not made apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic environmental films. Susan Napier states, Traditional Japanese culture has never shared in this um, apocalyptic vision. Neither traditional Buddhism nor Shintoism envisions anything like the final battle between the good and the evil in Revelations. Probably, uh, probably a good argument there for the, uh, the wasp, um death cult mentality <laughs> versus the rest of the world, specifically looking at you, Southeastern Asia. The characters that Miyazaki creates in Princess Mononoke transform spiritual beliefs into a visual and alternative form. Kodama forest spirits are tiny, childlike, playful creatures that make clicking sounds and guide Ashitaka, the protagonist, through the forest. The Shishigami is the powerful forest spirit, the creator and destroyer of all living things. It is presented in the form of a stag with many antlers, and at night it transforms into the Diabachi, a large ghost-like creature that walks over the land. Miyazaki's own spirituality played a central role in the development of this character in Princess Mononoke. Uh, he went on to say that I think the Japanese did kill the Shishigami, the deer god, around the time of the Muromachi era, and then we stopped being in awe of the forests. When humanity disconnects from nature, we witness nature's wrath an apocalyptic cleansing of the land, and a return to purity. And um, goes on to talk about how purification is the um, all-cleansing force of uh, Shintoism. It's a major um, it's, it's a major tenet of it, I guess you could call it. And um, 
his, his cinema starts to make a lot more sense whenever you start viewing it through that lens. You know, because like when I first started watching Miyazaki movies, I thought that they were all just kind of like coming of age stories of like young impressionable people who really found their place in a very confusing world. And it turns out it's a lot more than that. It's uh, kind of like the childlike joy that you have just existing, just kind of walking around appreciating things. And then kind of like the horrifying onset of realizing like how terrible the societies that we've created actually are. And... I don't know, Spirited Away kind of feels very much in tandem with that. He goes on to say that for Miyazaki, apocalyptic themes are central to understanding potential destruction and impacts we have on the environment. These apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic narratives reflect contemporary fears on two levels, loss of control and living with consequences. Scholar Amy Murphy argues, humans must still accept that there's a tipping point, even in such a toxic condition, beyond which we have gone too far when nature will return as an avenger and i think that that's kind of the times that we're living in now um we're starting to see like ultra rich people who are in like energy industries starting to buy bunkers in new zealand or whatever that means you know like uh we're getting stricter and stricter with uh tightening up borders like we know that the climate refugees are going to be coming we see the active effects of Massive wildfires, unprecedented floods, hurricanes are getting stronger than they've ever been, um, fracking's causing earthquakes in Oklahoma, a place that doesn't even have a fucking fault line. Like, we see the bad times coming, and um, this worry of, like, eventually nature's going to strike back, I think that that's a very, very apt statement, given, you know, everything. This goes on to say, uh, on both of these levels, Miyazaki presents, na- presents nature as the Avenger. This is demonstrated when the Omu, spores, and toxic jungle uh, converge on the only remaining pristine place in Nausicaa. The tipping point is present in Princess Mononoke when the Shishigami is beheaded, which begins a tidal wave of toxic blackness that engulfs the entire landscape and people. Um, they go on to talk about like the loss of control, you know, everything from like nuclear... Re- uh, the, the the nuclear uh, bomb <laughs> like I mean the the parallels are there I, d- I don't think we really need to draw a line too long from point A to point B about Miyazaki's general fears of the uh, nuclear apocalypse but I mean the loss of control and nature as the Avenger are two very very easy to comprehend things in his cinema uh, this article goes on to talk about how our perceptions may differ from reality just as Ashitaka was cursed by the boar god known as Tatari Gami, we are cursed with inheriting environmental problems. Miyazaki states, Ashitaka is not a cheerful, worry-free boy. He is a melancholy boy who has a fate. Ashitaka was cursed for a very absurd reason. Sure, Ashitaka did something he should not have done, killing the Tatari Gami, but there was enough reason to do so from the human's viewpoint. Nevertheless, he received a deadly curse. And I think that is similar to the lives of people today. We are not entirely like Ashitaka, but we aren't entirely innocent when it comes to environmental challenges, especially with climate change. Whether or not we choose to see it with eyes unclouded depends on us. Um, this article also goes to talk on about industrialization and just kind of like the overcorrection that we do whenever we try to fix like the world's problems, which I mean is a huge, huge feature in his movies. Like I said before, the 
technology being created and then weirdly being used for war instead is a tale as old as time. This article goes on to talk about how even supposedly good intentions in solving environmental problems can be a catalyst for conflict and apocalyptic destruction. Miyazaki shows the human aspirations and motives for uh, for advancement that can cause havoc on the environment. Industrialization in both films surpasses natural ways of life. Um, they, They go on to talk about how Nausicaa, it forces on human choices when attitudes of resourcism and self-elected domination can no longer be ignored by nature. You know, we're just talking about, just in general, we, we, I don't want to die. Don't make the big bug eat me. And then that causes all sorts of issues with, like, horizontalization as, like, traditional society is completely falling apart. And there are no resources to hoard, so we no longer have, like people that we've just kind of ordained as the masters of their domain you know the horizontalization occurs whenever it's like there is no clear onset leader here and that causes its own problems Uh, in princess mononoke lady eboshi had good intentions for the technological advancement of irontown she provides employment in her factory for former prostitutes and lepers to help her mine iron ore and build weapons the sale of weapons generates revenue for the village her protection for the people within the walls of Irontown creates a culture of fear of the forest and the spirits that live within it. Industrialization surpasses the natural way of life, and when humans mine for ore and cause deforestation, they essentially declare war on the forest gods. Weird how all of this goes back to that primitive um, belief structure that if I don't kill it, it will kill me. It's cool how a cinema just kind of just kind of tells us that we, we've never really been doing anything right, have we? By evaluating the supposed good intentions of the characters in Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke, we can begin to see our failings and fears in how we approach environmental problems. Just as Miyazaki shows the character's misunderstanding of the complete cycle of nature, we can begin to see our own incomplete picture regarding climate change, Just as warring tribes in Nausicaa tackle the encroaching toxic jungle by different means, we can compare that with politicians and scientists squabbling over data findings about the existence of climate change and how we should take action to combat it. It's that fear of change, and that's that's an ever-present theme throughout all of Miyazaki's movies. There will be the right thing to do, and it's going to be clear, it's going to be evident, and everybody can fucking see it. But it's the fact that things will be changing that causes people to um, stand up against it, which I think is a pretty simplified version of like the general U.S. aversion to embracing what we would call like a green economy or spinning down industrialization. industrialization. This goes beyond um, just kind of like a fear of change. There's also a lot of big players who benefit off of the destruction or just kind of benefit in general and have their fingers in their ears because why wouldn't you want billions of dollars? It's so fucking awesome. Look at me. I got a mountain. I mean, an island. An island with a mountain. So, I mean, yeah. Maybe he is right. We should have never started farming. I've got a friend who uh every now and then <laughs> she'll uh get like super overwhelmed with uh just kind of like the general state of things and she'll just be like man this is fucking stupid technology's stupid computers are stupid we're supposed to be sitting around a fire with our tits out telling stories <laughs> and i think miyazaki would probably agree with that uh the big thing about miyazaki's movies is these aren't just misery porn 
There's no reason to just show ab abject suffering. If you're just going to show the suffering, a lot of people turn off of what you're trying to show them. I think that that's an issue that a lot of people have politically as we talk way too much about like, oh, whenever the planet dies, you're going to watch your kids die. And whenever you watch your kids die, you're going to see them suffocate or you're going to see them starve to death in a famine. And then people go, yeah, but I don't like thinking about that. As Americans, we're, we're little treat boys. We like to sit around and think about our next nice piece of chocolate. What's the filling going to be like? I hope the filling doesn't taste like toothpaste. But, like, nobody wants to hear just about the abject suffering. There has to be elements of hope to it, or there has to be change, and the change has to be presented in a way that doesn't seem self-sacrificial. Because, again, we are a deeply, deeply selfish society. You know, if you really, truly do care about the environment, yes, you as one person could not um, affect the entire planet you know it's a drop in a bucket but enough drops in a bucket what's that you got yourself a full ass bucket so i mean it's like it's showing that there can be hope there you know it's not oh it's futile you may as well just kill yourself because the planet's gonna die anyways and do you want to go through the bad times or you want to die in the good times you know there has to be something else to it and um miyazaki cinema in my opinion ended up um doing that better than almost any other director that at least focuses in on environmentalism. The article goes on to say that even with apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic themes throughout Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke, there's a collective vision of hope and renewal. For Miyazaki, apocalyptic themes are central to understanding the potential destruction we can have on the environment. Some scholars see these depictions as a warning that our current lifestyles and values do not align with nature. Cavallaro argues Miyazaki's movies emphasize not only the enlightening potential of the confrontation with disintegrating structures, but also the iconic value of ruins as a reminder of the human penchant for destructiveness, be it entirely mindless and ide ideologically motivated. Um, I love the concept of ruins for this exact reason. I'm actually in like, I think like a, what, a, like five days? I'm going to have my first tattoo and that's essentially what it's going to be. It's a statue covered in overgrowth. Ruins. Nature won. Nature gets to grow over a statue. And I, I don't know, the symbolism of that is incredibly cool. And uh, when I was reading through this, I was like, damn, which, which one of us is the real Mr. Miyazaki? Am I right, guys? Up top. But it really is like something spectacular, right? It's, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the fact that I don't have like a traditional religious belief anymore and there's like a human nature aspect to this all where you want to surrender to something so much greater than yourself. Is that human nature? I don't fucking know. People replace religion with politics or video games or, I don't know, foaming at the mouth, uh, lunatic-like uh, sports support. It's just, it's a thing that plugs a hole. Maybe that's what this is for me. Maybe I want to see nature win because deep down my body wants me to believe in a vengeful god of some sort. I don't know. But I do know that ruins are symbolic in a way for me that shows that, like, eventually nature will win. And I, I, I don't know, man. There's something weirdly comforting in that. This destructiveness is visibly represented in Nausicaa by disintegrating social structure with the tribes warring between one another. The valley, through pristine, or though pristine at the beginning of the film, is destroyed when Commander Kushana invades, bringing with her the ancient god warrior. In Princess Mononoke, destruction is present from the very beginning. 
starting with the bullet that rips through the boar god, challenging him to a, uh, in, changing him into a beast intent on destroying mankind. With deforestation and the land being depleted of iron ore for iron uh, weapons, both actions convey ecological ruin. When the Shishigami is killed, his wrath pours over the land into a massive black glob, destroying and purging everything in its path, leaving the past in ruins. Not only does Miyazaki artfully demonstrate that some of these ruins are reminders of our capacity for violent apocalyptic destruction, but our culture and principles can contribute to our ruin. Miyazaki's calling for a new culture and relationship with the natural world, where humans will live in harmony with nature. And I just want to read the conclusion in full, and that's probably where the episode's going to end because I'm starting to get a headache and I need to go take a nap. Conclusion is, it is important to note that none of these societies presented in Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke are necessarily good and evil. Rather, they are made up of complex characters attempting to solve problems despite their limited worldview and understanding. The question that arises from these films is, what is our role with nature? Are we stewards or lords over it? In Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke, the constant message is that the mutual dependence uh, follows mutual destruction. We are connected to nature, and what we do disrupts everything down the environmental chain. In this post-apocalyptic landscape, we see humans, especially warring tribes, taking the roles of lords over nature. In Princess Mononoke, most characters, with the exception of San, have taken the roles of lords over nature. They are controlling the landscape through farming, mining, and deforestation. It is through the human character's mistakes that Miyazaki is calling into question our relationship with nature. Acting as lords over nature in both films, Miyazaki knows how differences in beliefs and misinterpretations of situations can lead to tragic misunderstandings. I think that's a really nice thing to end on. You know, it's it, a lot of people, we, we don't know that we're genuinely fucking shit up. I mean, like, look at, look at the environmental damage that's happening from lithium mining. We had Elon Musk, like, talking about how we're going to coup whoever we want to just get lithium in Bolivia. Probably the most resource, or lithium resource-rich um, deposit anywhere in the world. But, like, yeah, we're going to battery power because it's a green economy. But as long as it's in this economic system that's, like, keeps on telling you you need to ramp up production more and more and more, and, uh, you know, profits got to be higher, costs got to be lower, the planet's going to suffer because of that. And I think that I, I kind of wish that Miyazaki would address this directly in his movies, but it's like the fact that this economic system exists where it's like, it's not just caring for people. It's not like, oh, people are just making a few mistakes. It's that there's an economic system that encourages this type of behavior and it will keep happening until this economic system doesn't exist anymore, or at least has changed enough in a way where it's like the planet doesn't have to die just to make a few people richer up at the top. Until that changes, this is our reality. And it doesn't matter what kind of spin you put on capitalism. It doesn't matter what kind of spin you put on a free market. If there's resource hoarding happening and you have incentivized people to make as much of it as physically possible and make it shittily, you know, so shitty that it like like it necessitates that you have to buy another and there's like an implied demand there and that clothes are getting made cheaper and cheaper, not only because of cost, but because of the fact that you have to go and you have to get more clothes, which is, you know, securing demand because you like the design on it or whatever. Until we eliminate that reward structure, we're just going to be the people beheading the forest deer god thing. 
nothing's ever going to change. And I, I don't want to end on a hopeless note. I really do think that things will change. I just think that the, the, the bad times are going to come and it may be too late. It may not be too late. Who knows, man? I'm just some fucking guy with a podcast. But all I do know is that Miyazaki cinema kind of, uh, it showcases this, this fear that I have in a way that is incredibly palatable to a, you know, like a large audience. And it's so honest in its connections to what should be sacred and divine that I think his cinema is going to live on forever because of it. So thank you guys for listening. I know this isn't a normal type of episode, but next week is Nausicaa. And we're going to talk about how it's Miyazaki's eco-socialist good good movie. Bye.